0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church today. Welcome, everybody, upstairs. It's good to see you. What a great day to be in church. If we haven't met before, my name is Johnny, and I serve as the lead pastor for this well-worshiping community here at First Methodist Mansfield. Before we go any further, uh, I want to lift something up. It's a celebration, uh, and many of you may already know this, but for those of you that don't know, there was some big news that happened over the week. Uh, I think we have a picture of it that we can show you what took place Um So uh, everybody upstairs probably uh, already heard about this, but for those of you that haven't heard, uh, our very own Dylan Larissa, who helped lead worship uh, for the Well Cafe, got engaged this week. So we want to celebrate them. (laughs) Dylan Larissa, we're so excited for you two. We love you uh, very much, and uh, we are all praying for you, uh, how God has worked in your lives, uh, how God will continue to work in your lives and and work with you together as the foundation of your relationship. We're so happy for you, celebrating with you, and praying for you. Uh, Today, we are concluding our series called Family Meeting. So if this is your first time here, maybe your first time in a long time, and you've missed any or all of this series, I want you to know that you can catch up on this series or or any of our uh, teachings Uh, We have a podcast on iTunes that you could subscribe to. We also have the videos and the audio um, of all of our sermons uh, each and every week on our website, firstmethodismansfield.org slash media. But this series has been based on this idea, this notion that the church uh, should be a family. And like any great family, a great church should share vision, uh, should share values that they live into together. Uh, In essence, they should know exactly who they are, and where they're going. And that's kind of been the point of the series is to explore that a little bit. To, to understand our values and our vi- vision that we are pursuing together. And, and to hopefully understand how we can help each other remain faithful to that vision and those values. So if you have your Bible with you today, we're going to be looking at uh, a piece of scripture as we conclude our series. Uh, that's going to let us in uh, on this surprising and maybe disturbing notion Uh, of how much God actually trusts us to be this great family and to carry this work of salvation into the world. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 16. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn or click to Matthew uh, 16. If you do not have a Bible with you, we have blue ones available in both spaces. And you can find our scripture for today on page 1527. While you're looking for that, I want to let you in on a little bit of context, where we are in the story to this point at Matthew 16. Matthew, like the other three gospel writers, Mark, Luke, and John, is simply telling the story of Jesus. And I say simply because we can boil it down to that, but there's a lot going on here. And up to this point, up to chapter 16, there have been a, a lot of questions. There's a lot of speculation as to who this Jesus person is. Right? Like we know, we have the benefit of knowing because we have theological teaching before we can even read right we we understand the person of jesus but the people then did not necessarily know who jesus was and he starts doing all of these healings and miracles he starts feeding people he starts teaching Uh, he he is challenging the religious leaders and teachers of the time and people are like kind of looking back and forth like who is this guy And there's rumors spreading. And these questions really start ramping up around chapter 11. If you read in the story, chapter 11 is really when these miracles and these teachings start ramping up. And more and more questions about who this Jesus Jesus person is uh, come about. And then we find here in 16, this amazing confession. As Jesus gathers with his disciples and asks them the question, who do you think I am? So let's read together. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. As we read this, we think, oh, look, look how wrong they are, how silly these people are that think this. But in all actuality, this is not bad company. this I mean, these are some pretty heavy hitters in the Jewish religious tradition. And anybody that would be likened to Elijah or Jeremiah or even John the Baptist, that would be a great honor to think that you are somehow the embodiment of what Elijah was, a great prophet, like you are that person again. But Jesus uh, presses a little further, but what about you? He asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of of the living God. What this answer means is that you are the one we have been waiting for. Those other people, Elijah, Jeremiah, they talked about you. You're that person. This is an incredible and inspiring confession, which we'll get to in just a minute. But this, just what an incredible moment for Peter to confess this to Jesus. I know exactly who you are. You're not any of those people. They were great, but you are our Messiah, the Son of the living God. 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, some of you may know this, but for those of you that don't, here's a little fun wordplay that Jesus does here. You know, in, in Scripture, people are often having their name changed when they come to this great revelation about God, right? And this is what Jesus does here. Simon, son of Jonah, you are Peter, Petros, which means rock. And on this rock, Petrus, I will build my church. The lesson here is that if you don't like puns, you cannot be like Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, turns out, was a bit of a punny guy, Right? He wants to change the guy's name to something that sounds like rock and actually means rock and then liken him to the rock, the foundation on which his ministry will be built. Moving on to more serious things. (laughs) You are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is a pivotal moment in the gospel. It's like I said up to this point, a lot of speculation as to who Jesus is, even amongst the disciples. But here we have this moment where Peter confesses Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah. And as he confesses this faith in Jesus, as he confesses and recognizes Jesus as Lord, Jesus does this thing where he says, I will give you, Peter, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. See, up to this point, this is why this is so disturbing and so unsettling, and it should be for us, and it probably was for Peter and the disciples, is that up to this point, the belief was that when the Messiah came, when our Savior came, is that it was all over. They came, and they were going to finish it, right? They show up, and the work is going to be done. God's reign is going to begin, and we're all going to be happy. There's going to be much rejoicing in the land, right? Because the Messiah has come, and it's all over. Let's celebrate. But... What happens here is Jesus essentially says to them, you're right, I am the Messiah, I am the one you have been waiting for, and while I have come to bring God's reign to earth, while I have come to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, I will not finish my work here now. In fact, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven so that you can continue the work that I have begun here. They're like, whoa, 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 <laughs> what, me? <laughs> like, this is your job, Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm just Peter, right? Like <laughs> This is supposed to be your job. How, how can you give me the keys to the kingdom of heaven? I mean, this is an incredibly bold, prophetic word that Jesus speaks over Peter here in this moment. And Peter, at this time, is in no way ready, in no way ready for this responsibility, in no way ready to take on this work of the Messiah, if you didn't know, Peter came from pretty humble beginnings, right? He was a fisherman when Jesus called him out to follow. And that's not bad. I think against fishermen, fishing is great. It's a respectable uh, occupation here. But as boys grew up in this culture and they went to school, they would be identified by teachers, right, by rabbis. And if they were the smartest and they were the brightest and they showed skills and gifts for ministry, they, they were asked by a rabbi to come and follow them. And they would then go and follow this rabbi and learn everything they could about God, everything they could about the scriptures, everything they could about those that had read the scriptures and made comments about the scriptures. They learned everything so that they could teach others about God and the law and the scriptures. And if you didn't get chosen, you just went back and did whatever job either your family did or you found another one. And that's how Peter ended up here. He's not the brightest of the bunch. How could somebody who was supposed to continue on the work of of the Messiah not be picked in school, not be the the best and the brightest in school, didn't know the most about the scriptures? How could that person be trusted with the keys to the kingdom? How often through scriptures, if you read through Matthew and any of the gospels, does Jesus bemoan his disciples, including Peter, of how little faith they have? Right? How could Peter be ready? He has little faith. I mean, a couple chapters before this, in, in chapter 14 of Matthew, we have a, the perfect display of this, right? Right after the feeding of the 5,000, this great miracle that Jesus works, everybody should know who Jesus is, right? All the disciples should trust in the power of Christ. And yet, when they're out in the boat and Christ comes walking to them on the water, Peter, in this midst, uh, in the midst of that moment, has this great courage and this great faith in Jesus and says, I'm going to get out of this boat, Jesus, because I see you walking on the water. Or I know I can do it too. And he steps out, takes a few steps, but then begins to doubt himself again and starts sinking. Jesus pulls him out and says, Dude, like you had it. What happened? Why is your faith so small? Why did you doubt? Peter, who after this moment, later on, when Jesus is betrayed and is going to be arrested, pulls out a knife and slices some dude's ear off, and Jesus is like, Whoa, man, where did you get that? That's not that's not what we do. That's not how we operate. Heals the guy that Peter hurt. How can this person, who's supposed to be the foundation upon which Christ is going to build the church, be the one who, as Jesus is crucified and, and, and dies, is wandering through town. And everybody who confronts him and says, hey, aren't you Peter? Aren't you that guy that was with Jesus? And he can't even acknowledge that he knew Jesus. Jesus is crazy for trusting Peter with the keys to the kingdom. I want to share with you quickly this really nerdy bit that I was, when I was researching and, and looking into this. That, that word Petros for Peter meaning meaning rock. And then there's Petrus meaning rock. So Peter says, your name, or Jesus says to Peter, your name is Peter, a rock, and on this rock I'm going to build a church. These are two different words for rock. One. One, sparing you all the details of how it means this, but one means what he calls Peter Petros, this is a piece of rock. It's, it's unstable unstable, it's movable, it's shifting, it rolls. But petros, the rock on which Jesus will build his church, the rock in which Peter will transform into, means a cliff or, or fixed immovable, solid, enduring rock formation. Jesus is essentially saying, Peter, this is you now, but this is who you will become. I have faith in this transformation. And it's, as part of that transformation, that is why I'm entrusting you with the keys. And that is where I'm going to build my church. And then we see as we read on, this is where we began in this series, in Acts, these come right after the Gospels. The Gospels are the story of Jesus. Acts is the story of the church. And, and right there in Acts chapter 1, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, he, he says to them, The Holy Spirit's going to come on you guys. And you're going to be my witnesses to the entire world, Peter being a part of that group. And then a couple days later, there they are in Jerusalem. The disciples feel the Holy Spirit rush in. They step out and they preach the gospel. And Peter preaches this amazing sermon. Confessing his faith in the power of Christ, and thousands come to know Christ that day. And on and on it goes where Peter continues to be a key leader in this early church movement, an influencer. Helping people understand what it means to be in this new relationship with God and in this new relationship with each other. Peter is given the keys to the kingdom because he confesses Jesus as Lord, as Messiah. Keys are a powerful thing, not necessarily because what they do, certainly it includes what they do, but also because what they mean. Think back with me, if you will, to that, that first time you were ever handed the keys to something. Like, can you remember the time when your parents handed you the keys to the car for the very first time? Like, and just the excitement and the joy that as you looked at these keys and what that meant for you, like the control you were about to have over the radio and, you know, and, and where the car was going, it's mine now. <laughs> or maybe the, the first time you got the keys to a car that you purchased and what that felt like and what that meant for those keys to be in your hands. Maybe the keys you received the first time you rented an apartment or, or, or bought a house. What that means, the ownership, the power that comes with those keys and what they symbolize. Or maybe conversely, if you've ever had to take the keys away from somebody, how hard that can be because of what you are taking away from them. Maybe if you've had the keys taken away from you, what that feels like. It's not just about what the keys can do, because they can do a lot. They can unlock things. They can power things up. They give you control they give you access to power, whether it's in a car or, or a house or you know, a lockbox or a treasure chest. If you're a pirate, like it gives you control and access to things. Keys are powerful because of what they do, but they're even more powerful because of what they mean. If you've ever been the parent who has handed the keys to a child, you understand this probably more than anybody. The responsibility and the trust either that you have or you hope to have, as you hand those keys over. It's a big moment in their life and in yours as you entrust them with this power and this responsibility. Keys are important not just because of what they do, but because of what they mean. And I think like Peter, when we make Jesus the Lord and Savior of our lives, we are entrusted with the keys to the kingdom of heaven as well. When we confess Jesus as Lord, when we see Christ as the Messiah, make him Lord of our lives, we too are entrusted with the very keys to the kingdom of heaven that was entrusted to Peter. And it's with those keys, it's with those keys that we can not only unlock the kingdom of heaven within ourselves, Access that power of the Holy Spirit within ourselves, but also unlock that faith outside of us, the power of the Spirit outside of us, in the lives that surround us, and in the world that surrounds us. Keys. It's a small group curriculum. Uh, and, and the teaching that we have put together uh, for this series um, has been based around these five core values uh, that we believe are essential for all Jesus followers. But especially those of us that call First Methodist Mansfield home, we have identified these five spe- specific things as core values for us. I truly believe that these are the keys that help us unlock our faith and help us access the power of the Spirit and unleash that into the world. Many of you are part of small groups of Sunday school classes and you've been working through this and so you've heard much of this and so this will be a little bit of review which is never a bad thing but I also understand that many of you are not part of those groups either. You haven't found a Sunday school class or or, or a group that is running through this curriculum yet Um, so these are going to be new to you so I hope you have a pen. You can write these down because these are really, really vital for us. So as we go through these, I'm going to share each one of them. There's five of them and a little bit about them. The first one is this. The first key, core value is that shared lives lead to change lives. Shared lives lead to change lives. We believe that every significant change is anchored in a significant relationship. This is, this is uh, something that we believe we were designed by our creator to be in community. We were designed to be in relationship with one another. We are designed to learn and grow with each other. So if you're here and you've been coming in and out of church and you haven't found that group yet, you haven't found a Sunday school class, a a small group or a group that meets outside of our regular worship time here, and you're hoping that one of these days Johnny and David will shut up about small groups, it's not going to (laughs) happen. We truly believe this. We believe it's important that we remain connected to each other because not only is that that's how we were created to be, that's also how we were created to grow. So it's very important. We believe that the best version of you, the best version of yourself, will come because others have invested in you, not just you investing in yourself. Value two, key number two, everyone has a next step. This is such a, a critical understanding for us to understand that, that we are not finished products. Nobody here is. Nobody in this room, nobody upstairs is a finished product. That we all have room to grow, that we are all part of this journey. It's a lifelong journey of seeking Christ and becoming more and more like him. And the important thing about a journey is this, and we believe this about our journey of faith, is not not necessarily where you currently are, but it's where you're going. What's that next step that you're going to take? And we believe that everybody, no matter who you are, has another step to take, and we are constantly looking for those next ones. Number three is this, that followers of Jesus help others follow Jesus, Simply put, this means that each of us, as we are walking along in our journey of faith, as we are taking that next step that each of us has, that we are also helping others along in their journey of faith, that we are willingly sharing our faith with others. This is a critical part of our faith, but it also is really intimidating. It's an intimidating part of our faith. Because we know that caricature, that cliche, right, of of the Christian coming and saying, excuse me, do you have time to hear about Jesus? And do you know where you're going to go when you die? And what happens if you get hit by a bus tomorrow? Like, we we know all those. We don't want to be those, yet we don't know any other way. Maybe it hasn't been modeled for us, but we don't, sharing our faith is such an intimidating thing. What if I say the wrong things? I don't know if I know enough stuff. Helping others follow Jesus as a follower of Jesus certainly does include verbalizing our faith, understanding what we believe and, and why we believe it. That's not all there is to it. Helping others follow Jesus is also being aware of the opportunities that uh, surround us every day to not only share our faith verbally, but also share our faith with our presence and the way we serve others. The way we are participating in life with other people. the kind words that we might share might not have anything to do with, with doctrine or orthodoxy, but it might be a kind, encouraging word that is the perfect word for that person that day. Sharing mercy and grace. We have those opportunities. and because we want to be obedient to Christ, when we make Jesus Lord of our lives, that means being obedient to the things that Jesus would do in an effort to be obedient to Christ, we have to step out in faith and encourage into those opportunities. As followers of Jesus, to help others follow Jesus. The thing about keys is that they're always being handed off, right? Your possession of those keys is always temporary. You hold the keys to the kingdom of heaven, but you are constantly looking for those next people who you are passing those keys to. And entrusting them with the same thing that has been so important, so pivotal in your life as well. Number four, serving Jesus means serving others, This is a core value of our community. It's been part of the DNA of this church for a very long time. We have this gathering that we call Starting Point uh, that people come to when they want to make a membership commitment to this church. If they want to join as a member, they come to Starting Point Point. we tell them all about the church. We share these five core values and we have a joining ceremony at the end. If you've been visiting for a while, you'd like to join the church, you can come to Starting Point uh, and do that. One of the things that we share there uh, as a part of Starting Point is that uh, if if you don't really identify with this value of of serving others, then this church is going to really annoy you. (laughs) Because this is who we are, and this is what we do. We believe deeply that loving God leads us to loving and serving others. And that as we do each of those things, it draws us closer to the other. As we draw closer and closer to God, And love and grow more and more in love with God. It leads us to love and serve others. And, And just the same, as we reach out in love and concern for others, it leads us to a loving relationship with God. We believe this firmly, and that's why it's part of our core values. And finally, the last one: living like Jesus means living generously. We believe that Jesus is the most generous person that's ever lived. And if any of you are part of a Sunday school class or a small group that's going through this curriculum, you probably haven't hit this part yet. So this is a little bit of a spoiler, but we wanted to share all of them together. It wouldn't make sense to leave them hanging. But you might think of it this way, that the clearest expression of an individual who is living like Jesus is how generous they're living. It's their generosity. For God so loved the world that he gave is what the scriptures say. We see this expression of God as a a generous God. This is a vivid picture for who we want to be as people who are grounded in Christ, people who are followers of Jesus. Now, this idea of generosity is more than just finances, right? It's more than our financial resources. It's more than money. That's often where we go first, right? But being generous, living a generous life is also how we are generous with our time and our attention, how we give to others pieces of ourself of our talents, of our, of our skills, how we help each other, how we make time for others, which is valuable as well. But I don't want you to miss this. While it does include all of those things, while living generously is definitely more than just financial resources, it's also definitely not less than. Living a generous life is, is definitely more than uh, giving of our financial resources, but it's not less than that either. Generosity means always in all areas of our life, our time, uh, our talents, our finances, our attention. That we are living a life as generous as Jesus. That we are giving of ourselves freely, as we are given, as 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 God freely gives to us. If this is the first time you're hearing of these values, it won't be the last for sure. This is, this is we believe these are core parts of who we are as a, as a people of faith and as as people who seek to be followers of Jesus. So you're going to be hearing about them a lot. It's, it undergirds everything we do, everything we teach, everything we believe. And I truly believe that these five values are those keys to help us unlock the kingdom of heaven the keys that, that are given to us when we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior that help us not only unleash the spirit in our own lives as we seek to grow from that, that small, stumbly, roly rock to this firm foundation upon which the church is built. This is who we want to be as people. But it also helps us unlock the spirit, unlock faith for those that are around us when we live generous lives for those that we meet, when we spend our time, when we spend our money for, for things that make a difference in this world, when we share life with each other, when we serve one another, that changes things. It changes things in us and it changes things in others. And that is how the world is transformed. Being a people of faith is not coming to church and, and, and simply singing and just waiting for Jesus to come back to fix it all. That would have been the assumption that Peter and the disciples would have had, waiting on the Messiah to get here and make sure and just make it all better. And what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 no. I'm here to do that for sure, but I'm handing you the keys to do that as well. I'm giving you the keys to participate in this grand, salvific work that God has been doing since the very beginning. You're a part of that heritage. You're a part of that lineage of faith. As we close, I want to share... This, this quick scripture from Ephesians chapter four, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and as he's getting to the end of that letter, what he says to this church is that the church exists to equip the saints for ministry. The church does not exist for you to have something to do on Sunday morning. The church exists to equip the saints for ministry, to encourage us, to inspire us, to challenge us But the keys that we have been given to go out and unleash the spirit into the world. To be an agent of change in this world. And that's my prayer for all of us. As we gather each and every week together, as we sit next to each other, we greet one another. As we say hello and we, we commit to pray for one another and encourage each other. My hope is this, my prayer is this. That if you're here and you you've made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, to know that you have been given these keys to the kingdom. And the way we at, at this church and at First Methodist Mansfield express the idea of those keys is through those through those five core values that you've written down. But you've been entrusted with the keys to the kingdom. And if you're reading deeper into that, here here's what's the most profound thing for me in all of that is this, that as we place our faith and our trust in God, as we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, as we believe in God and we trust God, God is also saying, I believe in you too. God's saying, I've placed my faith in you. I trust you because I have given you the keys to my kingdom. I have given you the keys to go out and tell the world about me. I have entrusted you with this great and holy responsibility of sharing my grace with the world. People, I pray that we know that just as much as we seek God, as much as we place our trust and faith in God, that God has placed his trust and faith in you as well. He's placed the keys to the kingdom of heaven in your hands. And it is our job to go and unlock and unleash faith for the world. Let's pray together. Holy God, we thank you so much for our time together. We thank you for your presence with us here and always. And God, we pray now, as we have read from your scriptures, God, as we have opened ourselves up to you, God, as we continue each and every day to confess our belief, our trust, our faith in you, as we confess your son Jesus as our Lord and Savior, God, remind us that you have placed the keys to your kingdom in our hands. And as we go forth, God, may we use those keys. May we engage you in our lives so that we grow as people of faith and we grow more into the image of your son, Jesus, but also that we help grow others and that we participate in your continued work of transforming this world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.